So today we uh, continue this series on the, some psalms. We will be in this for the next couple weeks, and then uh, we'll start something new, especially on September 10th when we uh, kind of have the launch for the new ministry year. But I hope you've enjoyed these. These psalms are just full of wisdom. And today, the psalm we look at, Psalm 1, is kind of a wisdom psalm, uh, orientation psalm, but also wisdom. Um, so let me read it to you. This is the very first psalm, Psalm 1. And it has some great things to say to us. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of God, law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Uh, let's pray together. God, we pray that you would take these ancient words of wisdom and uh, let them speak to us in a powerful way. We thank you that your scriptures are not merely a book, but your very living word to us. So we pray that it would be living for us today. And you'd give us some uh, encouragement and some guidance, some wisdom on how to live life. May our hearts and our minds be open in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm guessing that many of you are familiar with Arthur C. Brooks. If you're not, you should become familiar with him. He... Uh, I would say is America's happiness guru. <laughs> he has a, an article, a weekly article in the Atlantic every week called Building a Good Life. Um, almost on good weeks, a million people read this article every week. He spoke last year at 185 speaking engagements. Can you imagine doing that? That's even more than a pastor. Um, all over the country, probably all over the world. He has written a number of books. He teaches a course on happiness in, at Harvard, a school of business. He's a, big, he's a big deal. But happiness in general, Americans seeking happiness, is a big business today. Billions of dollars are spent by Americans seeking a way to be happy. Uh, there are college courses, the most a uh, popular course at Yale University uh, is on how to live a happy life, on happiness. There are po podcasts, there are TED Talks, there, there's an entire media company built around this theme of happiness. Now, why the, the reason for such interest? Well, it's always been interesting, right? People all, I mean, look at this, this is an old scripture even back then, people were uh, seeking happiness. And just this last week, Arthur, Arthur Brooks' article was on Aristotle's uh, 10, I think there were 10 keys 
to happiness. But especially today, in our time right now, Americans are thirsting for happiness. Uh, the University of Chicago has had held a yearly survey since 1972. And for the first time in the history of that survey, this last year, Americans, when asked, uh, are you happy, not too happy, very happy, different, many different options, for the first time, more Americans said not too happy than very happy. First time in what is that, uh, 50 years? And an annual Marist poll, which they've been taking since 2009, for the first time, more Americans are pessimistic about the state of the world than optimistic. It's a low point since this poll began in 2009. Now, it's no wonder that Americans are feeling this way right now. I mean, the pandemic, uh, polarization of our political uh, climate, rising crime rates, mass shootings. We're seeing the effects, like in Maui, of our disobedience to God's command to take care of, to be good stewards of this gift of creation. Um, many, many reasons why we're having this shift. You know, I just got back from a weekend in Chico, seeing, you know, longtime friends. And it was after the weekend, I thought to myself, wow, you know, you kind of catch up with people. How are you doing? And some of the people that I know are some of the most optimistic people I know seem down about the condition of the world. Even me. I mean, I can't think of too many people more optimistic than me. It's hard right now, isn't it? It's difficult. So people are searching for happiness. And like I said before, this is nothing new. It's always been this way. And our text for today, Psalm 1, talks about happiness. The key to happiness. In most translations... That word blessed, which was in our translation, the New International Version, is translated happy. Happy are those, instead of blessed are those. And this psalm presents to us a very clear cut and very stark, in very stark terms, two roads in life. And this is often how the psalms are, the road of happiness or blessedness or the road of uh, destruction. Now, what's interesting about this psalm, one of the things that's interesting about it, is as we've taken a look at this grouping of psalms, remember at the very beginning and throughout, we've talked a little bit about this, about how Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, has grouped the psalms into three groupings, psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of new orientation. Orientation being, this is, it uh, describes life as it should be lived, as God wants it to be lived. We're enjoying God, we're enjoying people, we're enjoying uh, creation, we're enjoying life. It's stable, there's a sense of well-being. And then Psalms of Disorientation, where everything gets kind of thrown up into the air, and we feel like the rug has been pulled out from under us. And then, 
Psalms of new orientation, where we move through the disorientation to new orientation. Uh, and Brueggemann says it's not only the Psalms get, that can uh, describe life like this, but life is like this, right? And if, you look at our, if we look at our own lives, we see, wow, there are those times of orientation, disorientation, new orientation. Now, Psalm 1, the very first psalm, it's a psalm of orientation. In fact, this is what's interesting about this psalm. It just doesn't describe orientation, the sense of well-being, but it tells us how to find it. And what life looks like, what we can do to be blessed or to be happy. So the psalm begins with this very clear statement. How happy are those, or happy are those, or blessed are those? The word for happy, now this is key. The word for happy and the biblical definition of happiness is probably different than what we usually think of. Um, we usually think of, in our society, happiness being something that comes to us. In fact, it happens. Happiness, the word, is from happenstance. Something that happens to us. It's being free from the problems of life. Uh, we have no heartaches or headaches. Really, I think happiness in our culture is a life of ease and comfort where we are very much in control. Um, Brooks talks about the four idols, false idols, he calls them, of our society that we think are going to give us happiness. And I think this is what either uh, consciously or unconsciously we all seek after to give us happiness. And those are money, power, pleasure, and fame. Those are the four idols, false idols of happiness and how we often describe if, if we have these things, and you can look around, you know this to be true. Now, we wouldn't say that this is what happiness is about, but we may live life searching after those things because these are the messages we get every single day, don't we? That this is what's going to give us happiness. Money, power, pleasure, and fame. But for us to understand this psalm of orientation, we need to redefine happiness in a biblical sense. For in the biblical sense, happiness is not what I just described, or the absence of problems or trials, or getting everything you want in life, or success. It doesn't come from worshiping these four false idols. Happiness in the biblical sense is very different. It comes from this word ashar, which means blessed or happy. Um, happiness in the Jewish mindset is a sense of satisfaction or fulfillment. An overall sense of, of well-being, like you're living life the way it should be lived, of completion, wholeness, peace. Really, it's describing being completely happy. I think 
One of the words in the Old Testament that's so key to this is shalom. That's what it describes. There's another meaning to this word, ashar, that I particularly like. Uh, one scholar I noted, read, noted that this word paints the picture of being on the right road. And really it can mean uh, you're on the right path if you're living life this way. And if you're surrounded by many confusing ways, which we are today, so many ways we are told to find happiness, and we find the right way. This, this is the idea of Old Testament happiness. We find the right path. You're high, headed in the right direction. You know, I think this is what Je Jesus used the word blessed. Now, in the New Testament is Greek, but Jesus taught or thought in Hebrew, right? So when he said blessed, I think he's thinking of this word. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, oh, those great Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which are, boy, you want to see something contrary to our world today, read the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who come to the end of the rope. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Wow. Blessed? This is what Jesus is saying. You're on the right road. Blessed are the meek. So different. And yet, in the midst of shallow, I think, really superficial options that are offered to us in the world, when we discover this word, blessed, and what the Bible says about it, oh, there is true happiness. You know, I find great comfort, don't you, that God wants to give us this type of life? You know, I think so often people have this image of God being this great killjoy in the sky <laughs> who's just looking for somebody to do something wrong so you can squash them. That's not God. God wants the best for us. He wants us to live this kind of life of depth. It's not dependent on circumstances. That's independent of circumstances. That's deep. That's meaningful. That's satisfying. Even through rough times. This is what this psalm is saying. How do we experience it? Well, we'll be happy when we're on the right road. When, when we do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. How's that for a number of words? <laughs> now, these are kind of loaded words. I think sometimes in Scripture what we got to do is kind of reinterpret, <laughs> still stay true to the meaning, but when this psalm talks about, or when the psalmist writes about wicked, sinners, scoffers, uh, you know, our modern ears, we kind of recoil against those words, don't we? They sound like a TV evangelism, 
evangelists that you would see late at night on TV, right? But really what the psalmist means by these words can be summarized in this way. The wicked, the sinners, the scoffers are not necessarily terrible, evil, wicked people. They are simply people who live life without any orientation toward God. They have no use for God. God is not part of their lives. They're not living in relationship to God. They do not acknowledge the presence of God in the world. Now, can these people be our friends and be good people, people that we characterize as good people? Absolutely. They can be PTA presidents. They can be great neighbors. They can be fun to be with. They can be good friends, good citizens, contributing members of society, really nice people. But they do not have any orientation toward God in, in their life. And in their minds, God doesn't exist. And what this psalm is saying is don't listen to those people about where to find life. Don't listen to those people about what makes you valuable. And what gives you worth? Don't listen to those folks. What's going to give you satisfaction in life? Or how our deepest yearnings, all our human yearnings, are met? We should not orient ourselves around those values that these folks espouse or pay a lot of attention to, the advice that they give about what's important in life, and how we find happiness. You know why we shouldn't listen to these voices? Because God is not part of the picture. And it is in God that we discover who we truly are, why we're valuable, and what gives life meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction. And when we take God out of the picture, when we rely on secular voices or sources of advice for living, here's what happens. We're going to always be thirsting for more. See, that's, that's how you can tell an idol. Is you look to an idol to give you what only God can give you, and you're never satisfied. You're always thirsty. Because all these, all this advice, this orientation in life is not centered in God and what God has to say, it is centered in self, in the individual and in what you or me or anyone else thinks. There's no truth. And see, this is part of what's going on in our culture today. There's no truth. Have you noticed? Everything is relative. And that's why I am so excited about this new ministry to children. They need to know the truth. They need to know that they're valuable, no matter what, no matter what their grades, no matter how good-looking they are, no matter how they come across on social media. You know, I just spent yesterday counseling a young man whose life really has almost been destroyed by social media. And he's not the only one. These kids are dealing with tough issues. We have no idea. They need to know what God thinks of them. 
that they matter a great deal to him, regardless of the ifs. This is ancient wisdom. This is, I'm going to say, this is truth. I believe there is truth. Still. And what I'm seeing is people are looking for truth. I talked to a high school teacher not long ago who's been teaching English, uh, literature for 30 years, I think. So she's seen how things have changed over 30 years. She said, you know, the students I have now are so different from what I had 30 years. There's no grounding. They're searching for answers. They're trying to find a, a foundation to life. Because it is. Everything is up in the air. It's whatever you believe. That is not truth. I'm being pretty strong here, can you tell? Because this is destroying lives. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. Disagree with what God's Word says. It's not me. And the psalm talks about those who listen to the voices who do not have a God orientation. And it describes these people like chaff. They just blow around from one thing to another, from one opinion to the other. It's not a good way to live life. And when we leave God out of the picture, we are left with shifting values and ch that change from year to year. Um, you know, it's really interesting to me. I often ask people who have just become a Christian, what, what difference has this made in your life? What, what do you see that's different? And they said, you know, and this isn't exactly what each one of them says, but it's a general idea. They often say, you know, before I became a Christian, I just felt like I didn't have any grid for life. I didn't have anything to hang different things on. And when I came to a decision, I, I just... I didn't have any wisdom guiding me in that decision. Any fabric to my life. Well, that's a great description, isn't it? Of chaff being blown around by the wind. Now, in contrast, the psalmist gives us more advice on, on how to find satisfaction and, and truth. And they say, you know, the person who meditates on the scripture, who has that become part of their life. You know, that's what meditation is. It's internalizing it. So it just becomes part of who you are. And really this word uh, for law here is Torah, which means instruction and wisdom for God, from God. And this is a gift that God gives us. And the psalmist says, you know, the key to a happy life, those who are happy are the ones whose delight is in the law of God or in the wisdom of the Lord and on his wisdom they meditate day and night. And what do those people look like? Ah, oh, this great picture, a tree planted by the water that puts its roots down deep into the stream. You know, when we lived in Chico, we lived next to Little Chico Creek. And let me tell you, I was reminded being up there last week and Chico gets hot. <laughs> oh my gosh, I thought, 
how did we live here all those years? I mean, a great place to live, but whew, it's hot. And what's great about these, you know, the canyon we lived in, all these sycamore trees, you know, those great big sycamore trees that were right near the water that just put their roots down for years and years and years, like meditating, you know, every year just a little deeper, drawing from that water, even when the stream would go dry on the top. They were probably drawing water from beneath. And they're big and they're beautiful and they don't wither in 110 degree heat. And the psalm says, this is what people are like who who take their wisdom from God, who orient their life toward God. I would say people who do what? Soul work. Who work on their soul. You know, Brooks gives what he calls the four foundations to happiness. Faith, family, friends, and purpose. He goes to Mass, he's Catholic, he goes to Mass every day when he can. That's meditating. That's internalizing God's truth. And you know what? We look at these and we would say, well, yeah, those are common sense. Of course. In fact, the guy that wrote the article said to Brooks when he was interviewing him, you know, those aren't particle physics. Those are pretty common, basic things. All of us believe that, but do we live it? That's, that's the question. So, let me close by asking just some good questions. How deep do your roots go? Do you know the wisdom of God? If you wake up in the middle of the night anxious about something and worried, what do you think about? Do you recall scriptures, God's wisdom that will guide you, will remind you of who you are and what's life really all about? Have you internalized this wisdom? When faced with big decisions in your life, what do you turn to? Are you more informed by the wisdom of God or the foolishness of this world? And finally, here's the last thing I would say. Are you modeling to your kids what they need to do to build a good life? You know, that's why I think this program we're putting on, we're starting, is so good. And I would say to you parents, wow, you know, you got to have something to give it away, right? But also the importance of educating your kids, of helping them to learn, especially in today's world, God's wisdom and God's truth. Let's pray together. God, this is a strong word today, but very clear about what happiness truly is and we confess that we often oh god it is so hard to keep this in the front of our minds when so many voices are telling us where to find satisfaction and how to be fulfilled that are contrary really to your wisdom forgive us god when we look to other things to give us the deep meaningful life that only a relationship with you can give Forgive us for getting moving so fast in our lives that we fail to take time to be quiet in your presence, to meditate on your truth, to listen to your still, small voice. 
So come, Holy Spirit, and draw us into the awesome center of your power and your wisdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.